Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Parnian Armajan from the Toronto Retina Institute in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Parnian, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Hi, Dr. Pugliafito. Thank you so much for having me in the Retina Synthesis. Uh, you presented a very provocative paper at the American Society of Retina Specialists meeting a few weeks ago in New York discussing prophylaxis of intraocular pressure associated with anti-VEGF injections. Can you tell us a little bit about your paper? Absolutely. So this is a paper that um, I was fortunate to be involved in with my colleagues at the University of Toronto. And we basically performed a meta-analysis of all observational studies and randomized controlled trials that have looked at the role of IOP lowering measures in patients undergoing anti-VEGF um, injections for any indication. And we were interested to see if there is a role for doing IOP lowering measures such as um, drops or medications or an anterior chamber paracentesis to prevent IOP fluctuations, RNFL loss and visual field changes. So what, what were your conclusions? So our conclusions were very interesting, actually. Essentially, the majority of the studies that we looked at used IOP-lowering medications in the form of eye drops or oral medications like Dymox. And uh, six studies used anterior chamber paracentesis um, as an IOP-lowering intervention compared to the control group. And the primary conclusion of the study is that ACTAF or an AC paracentesis significantly lowers the IOP immediately, uh, usually within two minutes after the injection and after the tap compared to the control group, but that this effect does not last beyond the immediate um, period post-injection. And IOP lowering drops and or medications such as cerozolomide also significantly lower the IOP in the treatment group compared to the control up to half an hour following treatment. And then what was interesting is that also the retinal nerve fiber layer thickness has been found in several studies to significantly be preserved in patients who undergo AC paracentesis at the time of injection compared to the control group. And we don't have RNFL data from the IOP lowering medication category, but that's another um, interesting question to look at in the future. What's the average intraocular pressure following intravitreal injection? So I will show you, I wish I could show you the graph, but generally the average increase um, in patients who did not have uh, an AC tap was about 30 to 40 um, millimeter mercury increase within the immediate uh, post-injection period. But this value has been shown repeatedly in many studies to normalize within five to 30 minutes post-injection. Mm -hmm. uh, do we need to take extra precautions in patients with pre-existing glaucoma? Good question. So we did look at a cohort of patients who had pre-existing ocular hypertension or glaucoma, and we did not find a difference in our uh, results of our main analysis um, with the subgroup analysis of patients with glaucoma. So um, at least from our meta-analysis, the results are unanimous that yes, doing these measures prevents IOP um, spikes essentially, but that the spike is not different between the groups that have glaucoma or pre-existing hypertension versus the average person. Well, can that 
transient pressure increase uh, affect the retina nerve fiber layer? So this question has been asked by many previous studies, mostly observational studies and few uh, randomized control trials and one meta-analysis that has specifically looked at RNFL thinning and they found that there is a significant thinning of the RNFL in patients undergoing numerous anti-VEGF injections. And they've actually shown that um, the repeat, the fact that these patients are having repeat injections of anti-VEGF or repeat injections in general, that's the main risk factor for RNFL thinning. So one or two injections does not make a huge difference, but um, the cumulative effect of injections over the years um, is the main risk factor for RNFL thinning. Yes, so of course, we have patients that have scores of injections. Absolutely. I mean, scores of injections. The average person who has DME or AMD on average undergoes seven injections per year. And of course, that number is much higher for some patients who need monthly injections or every six week injection per year. Have, has there been a study of looking at patients specifically with glaucoma? I, and, and and macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy. So a lot of the sub, the studies that we looked at, a lot of the RCTs or the observational studies had a subset of patients who had glaucoma, but they didn't mm -hmm. only look at glaucoma patients. So that was just a cohort of the patients that they studied. So what's your practical recommendation within glaucoma eyes? Based on the results of this meta-analysis, um, I would tell you that personally in my practice and from my colleagues, um, you know, anecdotal reports, um, I perform and I would probably recommend to a colleague to perform an AC tap or at least, um, you know, place an IOP lowering medication in the patient's eye prior to the injection on the day of injection. For a patient um, who's either known to have IOP spikes every time to the point where their vision is NLP or LP immediately after an injection, or if their cup to disc ratio is 0.75 or higher with advanced glaucoma. Um, and so that's, that's the practicality of the implications of this paper. Um, but I think what's also probably is interesting that comes from this paper is to uh, the importance of perhaps doing an OCT of the retinal nerve fiber layer, you know, every three or six months on your injection patients to see um, if you're practically seeing any changes in the, in the, in the retinal nerve fiber nerve thickness and if that's the case to perhaps take precautions when doing injections and also perhaps do a once a year, every six month visual field um, testing. Well, that's... Uh... These are interesting recommendations. What's your technique for anterior chamber paracentesis? So um, for pseudophagic patients, I, in general, when I do an injection, um, I don't use a speculum. I just have the patient look up and I do an inferior injection. If the patient is pseudophagic, um, I use a speculum and then I use a 30 gauge needle on its UV syringe um, in a passive method. So I take out the plunger and then with one hand push on one end of the cornea and then temporally put the needle in uh, very flat, um, temporally at nine o'clock or three o'clock depending on the eye, and then remove about 0.03 to 0.05 fluid from the AC. Um, I don't check the pressure afterwards just to minimize the risk of infection. And um, generally I just check to make sure the vision is back to the patient is counting fingers at least following the AC tap. Usually this isn't a patient who's known to go NLP after an injection um, or in glaucoma patients. And if so the patient in, is a I do it at the slit lamp, of course. Sorry, go ahead. 
And do you do you, um, so you do it at the slip lamp if they're faking? If they're faking, if they're pseudo faking, no, just on the chair as they're um, in the center over the lens. And you do the injection, you do the paracetesis after the injection? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because then you're injecting into a normotensive eye, which is easier, of course. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Exactly. So just, just, and much the same way as we do a pneumatic, for example, a pneumatic retinopexy, um, where we remove a significant volume from the AC following an injection of FF6 in the eye, um, which must much the same way after an injection of um, anti-VEGF, we do an AC tap much more easily. How common is it for patients to go NLP after an intravitreal injection? I find that that's not very common in general, but anecdotally, I've heard from colleagues, and there's also a few papers that recently have been published on this very topic, is that pre-filled syringes of Iflibercept specifically, um, I think the volume is slightly actually higher than 0.05. Um, mm-hmm. This has been shown in several studies. And so I find that um, maybe one in every 10 patients might say that they're NLP for a few minutes after an injection. Um, in the past, I used to sometimes just wait it out, and usually their vision comes back to normal within five to six minutes. But after focusing on this data, and especially with the results of this meta-analysis, I think um, personally I'm more lenient towards just doing an AC tap to prevent um, such a high IOP spike, which is probably around 50, 60. Mm-hmm. What about intraocular pressure medications? What are your recommendations about that? Um, so I think what's interesting is that I think the majority of retina specialists who do IOP lowering measures at the time of intravitreal injection actually use either Dymox or drops. And um, I personally don't have too much experience with medications, but from the studies that we included in our meta-analysis, um, the met- recommendation is to use a beta blocker or a, com- a combination agent like Combigan, for example, with an alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, medication plus a beta blocker, uh, such as Combigan, on the day of the injection in the morning and then in the evening uh, for one to two days. Um, and I spoke to a few retina specialists actually at the ASRS who came up to me to comment on the fact that that's what they routinely do in their practice um, is prescribe Dymox on the morning of. And so patient takes 250 milligrams of Dymox prior to the injection to prevent IOP spike. That's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I think I mean, my impression is is that intraocular pressure is not something that is overly considered in intravitreal injections. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. And I think it's also because of the paucity of evidence. You know, there's not very many well-controlled trials that have specifically only looked at IOP with low selection bias. But your analysis has identified patients that really we should be looking out for, patients with glaucoma, particularly advanced glaucoma, or patients who go NLP after an injection. These are two cases where really you have to think seriously about the intraocular pressure and its consequences. Absolutely. I mean, in our meta-analysis, we actually didn't find a difference between the subgroup of patients who have glaucoma versus the average patient who doesn't have glaucoma who's getting repeat injections. Um, mm-hmm. But 
do find that there's a significant um, increase in IOP that can be mitigated with these measures. So of course, what makes sense is that if someone's already has a disc at risk, um, that's all the more reason to do IOP lowering measures. Yeah, and and the, and the repetitive nature of the pressure elevation. You know, if you go to sixty millimeters of mercury in an eye that is severely the optic nerve is severely damaged, and you do that seven to ten times a year, it wouldn't be surprising if damage occurred. Absolutely, I think. I mean, most of our glaucoma colleagues probably agree with this rationale as well. Um, your observation about doing retinal nerve fiber layer analysis is interesting. Have you implemented that in your own practice? I mean, I, have not. I know that you're. I know that you're tremendously busy, busy in Canada. So, have you been able to fit RNFL analysis into your practice? Not yet, but I think um, I would like to start doing that as part of a prospective study um, from you know, injection naive patients who get started on anti-VEGF treatment and then do a baseline um, six months every 12 months as part of a study perhaps going forward. But I think um, it's a recommendation that just makes sense. And so um, I think the results of this future study will probably direct my actual practice in the future. But, um, you know, in Canada, we're fortunate, a lot of our optometrists um, follow or manage glaucoma in patients who don't need glaucoma filtering surgery or, um, you know, more invasive intervention. So a lot of times we co-manage patients, um, especially patients who have a suspicious capitalist or glaucoma suspects, essentially. Um, definitely they see their optometrist every three to six months. And so they're getting those tests at the optometrist's office um, while continuing their retinal care. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks so much for your time today. This was a very important study i know it gained lots of attention at the at the asrs meeting and uh, i encourage you to keep uh working on it we'll have you back on retina synthesis in the future thank you so much dr Pilfito. it's a privilege to be on your podcast and i also look forward to uh, seeing you again in the future